Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Summer Family Bible Conference. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise God. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Gary. Turn with me in your Bible, say, we're just going to go there to Proverbs 16.6. You know, in the last eight months or so, God has really uh, laid a word upon my heart uh, that I've been sharing wherever I've been going. And so I, I'm sure there's some of you here who've heard me talk about some of this. But I really thought that, that the Summer Bible Conference would be a really great place just to share some of this. Um, in Proverbs 16.6, 6, uh, if I would entitle this message, it's called Resetting Your Default. Resetting Your Default. Uh, Proverbs 16.6 6 says, By mercy and love, truth and fidelity to God, now I'm reading out of the Amplified Version, uh, to God and man, not by sacrificial offerings, iniquity is purged out of the heart. And by the reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord, men depart from and avoid evil. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for this time, and thank you again, Holy Spirit, that you are the teacher, and I thank you, Lord, that you're able to instill in each and every one of us that your word can, can deposit deeply within us, and that, that, that we each, each and every one of us can have our defaults reset, that we may see you for who you really are, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, many of us know this, and I'm sure that, that I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, as many of you know and see, I, you know, I don't even use a notepad or notes, you know, on paper anymore. I use a, 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 a device like, a, a, you know, an iPad or, a, you know, we've got smartphones. Uh, we've got, you know, today you even have smart TVs. Uh, my son-in-law's got a, a smart TV, and, and, you know, if you've got it set up correctly, you don't even have to push the clicker anymore to change the channels. You know, you just, you can ha do hand gestures, you can speak to it, and it will change the channels. Um, but, you know, all of these devices that we have um, has an, an operating system in it. Now, these operating systems uh, are developed to make the device operate to its optimal capacity. Uh, an operating system is what causes your computer or your iPad or your whatever tablet you're using to actually function the way that the engineers who designed that particular device designed it to operate, to function. It's so that you and I can actually work on it. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I find that when I work these things, especially with computers, uh, it is possible for us to actually um, reset the default way in which the, the, these programs work. Sometimes I do it and I don't know that I've done it. And you know, anybody know what I'm talking about here? And you know, you, you, can, you can do things to actually change the parameters of that uh, operating system. And some of it is, is for personal use so that you can do, it, it, it does something personally that you wanted to do. But many times we can cause the operating system to be tampered with to the degree where it's not 
functioning the way that it was supposed to function. Many times, you know, I'll work on my computer and, uh, and, and the next day I'll work, go back to the computer and it's not doing what I wanted to do. And then, you know, I've got to get my son-in-law in or somebody who knows and then they'll say, oh, but, but dad, this is what you did. You, you did something here, you changed something. I don't even know that I did it. Uh, many times we can have viruses that can get onto our computers and onto the, the, the actual uh, operating system and, and can mess it up. And so what happens is many times these devices then don't work. They slow down and it doesn't function the way that it was designed to function. So when we talk about resetting your default, now that's what I like about some of these things, that when I get to a place where the thing is not working the way it's supposed to work, then sometimes when you go into the settings, there's a little button there that you can press. Now it tells you, you know, are you sure you want to do this? Because what's going to happen is if there are some preferences that you have on it, it's going to wipe it clean, but it will reset it to the default settings. Amen. And so when we talk about reset to default, let me give you a couple of definitions of the word reset. The word reset means to adjust again after an initial failure. To adjust again after an initial failure. To set again or to set differently. Uh, the, the word default means the option or the specification preselected and specified by the original manufacturer or the creator. So resetting to default means to adjust again after an initial failure back to how something was originally designed by the creator or the manufacturer. So when we talk about this in, in the context of our relationship with God, the Bible has a lot to say about what I would call the, the human operating system. The human operating system. You see, each and every one of us have what the Bible calls the heart of man. The heart of man. Now, when the Bible talks about the heart of man, you know, Proverbs uh, chapter 4 and verse 23, let me just read that. It's a familiar verse, and I think most people will, uh, you know, recognize. It says, keep, the Amplified says, keep and guard your heart with all vigilance, and above all that you guard, for out of it flow the springs of life. Another translation, the message translation says, keep vigilant, watch over your heart, that's where life starts. So, you know, when you, when you study, now we don't have a lot of time to get into, into understanding the heart, and, and I've got a whole series in which I teach on understanding the heart, but basically the heart of man is not necessarily talking about the pump that's pumping the blood through your body. Now, there are many, many verses in the Bible that does talk about the actual pump, but many times and, and most of the time that Jesus spoke about the heart of man, he was talking about the belief system, what you believe deeply in your heart. You know, uh, Romans chapter 10 verse 10 says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. So the heart is the place where you believe. It is the belief system. It's, it's what you deeply believe deep down in your heart that actually drives the direction of your life. It's where your life goes. 
You know, that verse in Proverbs uh, chapter 24 says, you know, um, or chapter 4 says, keep or guard your heart, for out of the heart will come the forces, and another translation, the forces that drive your life. And, and, and I tell people all the time, you know, the first time I got a revelation, and I think it is a revelation to get, is of that verse, is to realize that what I deeply believe about God, about the Word, about myself, about my environment, whether I believe in God or not, whether I, whatever it is, what I deeply believe in my heart will determine where my life goes. And, and for me, the almost scary part of that verse is that the condition of my life today is really a direct result of what I have been believing in the past. See, a lot of people don't like to hear that because what we want to do is we want to blame the devil. Now, you know, we have an enemy, and I'm not negating the fact that we have an enemy. But for the most part, the condition of your life today, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, relationship-wise, is a direct result of what you have been believing and of what you are absolutely persuaded of in your heart. Now, what does that mean? It means that I cannot blame the government. Amen, I'm going to go over here. I'm not, I can't blame my wife. I can't blame my mother-in-law for the... For, now, do other people's decisions and, and what other people do influence our lives? Absolutely. But for the most part, the condition of your life today is... What are you believing, and what have you been believing in the past? And so, you know, uh, what is important for me to get here is this, is that um, the, 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 the heart is powerful in bringing forth what you deeply believe in your heart and, your, and the condition of your life. So, now, if I want to change the condition of my life, I have to change what I believe. I have to change the way I see things. I need to change the way things uh, uh, are put together in my belief system. Now, turn with me in your, in your Bibles there, and let's go um, there to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And let me just say a couple of things here. You know, one of the greatest privileges we have as believers, everybody say believers. As a believer, as a man or a woman of God uh, who has received Christ as their Lord and Savior, one of the greatest privileges you and I have is to live, experience, and have the very Zoe life of God. Hallelujah. Amen? That, I mean, I'm sure that I don't have to go over many scriptures here, but, you know, John chapter 5 and verse 24 says, Jesus says, I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, the person whose ears are open to my words, who listen to my message and believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on him who sent me. Is there anybody here who's leaning on, trusting in the one who has sent Jesus Christ? Anybody here? Then he, this is what he says. He says, 
says, uh, has, possesses, right now, eternal life. Now, what he's saying here is this. You don't have the potential to one day experience that. You, right now, as a believer, as a man or woman of God, you have, you possess the very zoe, that's the word that's used there, the zoe, a life of God, which is the highest kind of love, uh, 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 not love, uh, life there is. You know, John chapter 6 and verse 40 says, For this is my Father's will and His purpose. You know, Barry's talking about this is His will and this is His purpose. That everyone who sees the Son and believes, everybody say believe. Hallelujah. Who believes in, claims, cleaves to trust in and relies on Him, should have eternal Zoe life. So what this is talking about, let me just share you a little bit about what is this Zoe life. This Zoe life is the same life that is sustaining God right now. You know, the, the thing that we do is that we've we've interpreted that word and we've translated that word, you know, eternal life. And, and what we've all done is we, we've connected the longevity in that we, it, it, it's a life that's never going to end. And that's wonderful. But there's way more to this Zoe life of God than just living forever. How many of you understand every, every man is going to live forever? Come on now. Just depends on where you're going to live. Hello. Amen. So, you know, uh, it, it's not just how long you're going to live, but this is what the Zoe life is. I, I don't think I have the vocabulary to be, to be able to fully explain what this is, but I'm going to try my best and say a couple of things here. You see, the Zoe life of God is the very same life that's sustaining God and it is the same life that God experiences, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has experienced. So it's not just how long they live, it's a quality of life. It is a life that has certain qualities. It is a life of unconditional love, acceptance, oneness, uh, transparency, uh, generosity, belonging, prosperity, a life of of other-centeredness, where there is no self-centeredness or selfishness, a life that empowers freedom. You know, it's exactly what Barry was saying this morning, is that once you understand that, that this is who God has made you to be, to be a partaker of His life, then, then once, once that happens, it releases you. It empowers your life for freedom. Uh, it empowers strength. It empowers, uh, you know, uh, uh, a, a, a vision in people's lives. It empowers within them uh, a hope for the future. You see, but unfortunately though, and this is unfortunate everywhere I go, I realize that so many believers, even though the Word of God says that this is what you possess, this is who you are, and this is what you possess, a very limited amount of people ever actually live and experience 
that kind of life. Very few people actually live in the victory of what that life is. And, and I think the, the key here is in Ephesians chapter 4 and, and verse 17 and 18. Uh, you know, for years I used, to, I used to always think and ponder upon these things because for a long time in my walk with God, even in ministry, there was so much that I believed, that I saw in the Word of God, the promises of God. But I struggled to actually have any one of those things be a reality in my life. And I, I said, Lord, there has to be a key. And I'm sure that this is not the only key, but I believe this is a, a big one right here. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 and 18 it's, uh, Paul writes, he says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Now the first thing we need to do here is we need to determine who is he speaking to. Now he's speaking to the church at Ephesus. He's speaking to believers. Now he's not just talking to just anybody, he's speaking to believers. And notice what he says to these believers. He says, he says, that henceforth you walk not as other Gentiles walk. What does he mean by walk? Now, you know, there's, there's, there was a time when I would have read that and did read that passage of Scripture, and, and my interpretation of that was, you see, Paul is here telling us as believers that we need to stop sinning like the world. Don't walk like the other Gentiles walk. Now, you know, if you read that in context, he's not talking about sin. He's not even talking about, he's talking about a quality of life. Don't walk or live a quality of life that is no less than a Gentile. Well, hang on, he's speaking to believers. And he's saying that it is possible to be a believer, to have, possess right now, the very life of God in you, but not experience anything different than just a non-believer. Amen. Or was it just on me? Amen. You know, I, I realize and I know that, I've, that, that, that this is speaking to a lot of people right here now. I talk to people all over the world where I minister and I, I hear this over and over and over again. And what people do is they think, well, if I can just, what, what must I do, Arthur? What must I do to change this? Well, let me, let me just show you what you've got to do. He says this. Paul says, they walk in the vanity of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated. So he says, it's possible to be a believer and have to walk in darkness. And again, that's not walking in sin. And, no, walking in, in, in darkness means to be void of the understanding. And then he says, in the vanity of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated. What does that word alienate mean? You know what the Amplified says? Self-banished. To be alienated from what? The life of God. Amen. He's speaking to believers. Amen. And he's saying you can be alienated, self-banished, from the life of God. And then he tells you why. Because of the hardness of their hearts. Amen. That word hard is callousness. What he's saying is this. What you believe in your heart can either 
bring your life to fully experience what God has for you. Or as a believer, what you believe in your heart can self-banish you from the very life of God that's in you. Amen. And you know, years ago, uh, and, and many of the students here, if there's any of the students here, will, will testify, I, I always talk about this. This became a revelation to me at that time. And Andrew was talking about our interview and about how my life came to a place where I sat with a gun. You see, I sat with that gun because I had, I had come. I had received Christ as my Lord and Savior. I had burnt all the bridges. There was no going back. But what I believed didn't work for me. Oh, there was a long nine years that I would never have said that. Go on. But it didn't work for me. I was frustrated because the way that I was going about it was self-effort. And I was, I was trying to make this work for me in my own, in my own self-righteousness and in my own abilities, which I had none. Many of you have heard my testimony. You know, I, I don't understand, but see, religion had got a hold of mine, and I'm sitting with that gun, and I'm saying, you know what? My life is not worth living. And I know that there are many Christians, they've never maybe sat with a gun, but that's how they feel. And I realized when, when, when God uh, intervened in my life, thank you for God's faithfulness. Thank you that God is faithful when I can be faithless. Thank you, Jesus. And, and, and in that experience, God spoke to me this word. And he said to me, Arthur, you are full of doubt and unbelief. I was a word of faith preacher. You don't say that to a word of faith preacher. And, and I said, Lord, what do you mean? And he said, Arthur, unbelief is not the inability to believe. Unbelief is when what you're believing is un. That's how he spoke it to me. What he's saying is, unbelief is not when you are... People think that unbelief is when I don't believe in God. No, unbelief is when what you are believing about God is not the truth. You know, one of the, one of the, the biggest defaults that, that we need to reset as believers in our hearts is the true nature and character of who God is. One of the greatest revelations any believer can get is a revelation that Jesus Christ is the only, the sole expression of the true nature and the character of God. You know, there's, there's so many things I can talk about here, but I really feel impelled this morning to speak about this one area that we need to speak to. Turn with me in your Bibles here to John chapter 1 and, um, and verse 18. John chapter 1 and verse 18. Now, in order to, um, to put this in the right context, who was John? Anybody? And, and I know that I, these are just rhetorical questions, really. Who was John? Well, John was a disciple. He was the beloved. Amen? He was the beloved. He's the one who when, when, when Jesus, after his resurrection, was on the beach uh, cooking breakfast for them, and they came back, uh, you know, and hadn't caught any fish, 
John was the one who said to Peter, and, and it says it this way, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It always strikes me, it's never the disciple who loved Jesus. See, I, I believe John had the thing correct. He, he, he understood something. He said, I am the disciple, and I know that Jesus loves me. Amen. Hallelujah. So he's a disciple. He's a Jew. The book of John was written for this purpose. There was a purpose in writing this book. He wrote this book in order to speak to the Jews. This book was written to the Hebrews or the Jews to prove to them that Jesus Christ, the man, was God. So in the context of understanding who he is, who he's writing to, who is supposed to read this, this letter, let's read verse 18. Verse 18, John says, No man has ever seen God at any time. You know, about 18 months ago, I was, I was reading through this verse, and I read over that, and, and I was just going on to the, to the next part of that verse, and the Holy Spirit stopped me, and he said to me, Arthur, you, don't go any further until you sort this out. This, listen, this is John. He's a Jew. Who were the Jews? They were the people that have, for up until that time, thousands of years, prided themselves that they're the only nation who knows God. Come on now. And John gets up and he says to these people who their heritage is, we're the only people who know God for who he really is. And John writes to them and says, by the way, let me just say this. No man, so, you know, I read that and I thought, well, you know, I'm a scholar. I'll get all my Greek tools and go through this passage of scripture. Maybe, maybe John meant not everyone. No, when I read it, it's emphatic. No man has ever seen God at any time. Can you imagine those Jews? And they must have, you know, they must have said, you can't be sugar now. I mean, what about Moses? Come on now. People say, oh, well, Moses didn't see. He just saw the backside. Okay, here. This is my backside. Can you see me? <laughs> Moses saw God. What about, what about Abram? I mean, there's, in Genesis 17, God Almighty shows up at Abram's tent. And John, to me, I read that. I thought, John, you're, you're, you're stupid. I mean, you know, surely you should have said it a little differently. No, but see, John is getting ready to introduce Jesus to the Jews. And, and the way that he's saying this, he's saying, now listen, and we're going to look at this in a moment. But he starts off by saying, no man has ever seen God at any time. And so what he's doing is he's saying, no one prior to this moment, even though they had an encounter with God, see, he's not negating that people had encounters with God. 
What he has and is saying is that all of the people who have up until that point had encounters with God, they have never really seen God for who he really, really is. They had encounters with God. See, what we've got to understand is when Adam sinned, something happened in the heart of the human race which skewed their way of looking at God. Even if they had an encounter with God, they struggled to understand who he really is. But notice what he then says. He says, no man has ever seen God at any time. Gary, could I, could I ha- ask you to come and help me up here? Just, just if you would stand there for a moment, just over there. And, and I'm going to apologize to you right now. Because <laughs> I'm going to invade your, your personal space here. But, you know, uh, notice he says, the only unique son, I like the Amplified, the only unique son or the only begotten God who is in the bosom, in the intimate presence uh, of the Father, He has declared Him. And I tell you something, I think that this is something that we in the body of Christ that as believers, we really need to grasp a hold of because there's so much confusion going on. Do you realize that, well, I realize this that because I talk to people all the time, and that, and that is that most people's concept and most people's view of God, the way they see God, is based upon Old Testament revelation, which at best... Which, at, listen, at best is a faint shadow of the truth. You know, I like the way that Andrew demonstrates this when he talks about it. He talks about, you know, that, that if you see my shadow, you know, there's my shadow over there. You can see my shadow. Now, there's certain things you can tell from that shadow. But the details you can't see. And sometimes I can make that shadow. Have you ever seen those people that can make shadows and they can make all kinds of little animals and stuff like that? Well, you know, you, you look at that and you say, well, that's an animal. No, it was a man's two hands that did that. You saw the, you saw the shadow. And that is what the Old Testament are. But he's, and so John is coming to these people and he's basically saying this. He's not refuting the fact that all of these Old Testament saints had an encounter with God and met God. But what he's saying is now, because of Jesus Christ coming, he comes, and I love it, from the intimate presence of the Father. And, 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 and the way that the word, now, the way the word says there, it says he comes from the bosom of the Father. And, and Amplified says he's not come and he's left there. He is still in the presence of God. And that word in the bosom means to be face to face. Come here, brother. Now, you know, I mean, we've, we've got here in the Western world, we've got this, this, this two foot personal space. Why? What, what is the reason? Well, there, there's certain things we don't want to share with one another. Amen? There's certain things I don't want to share with him and I don't want him to share with me. But John is saying this. He's saying he who has come from the bosom and is in the bosom of the Father face to face is like this. Now, I'm sorry, brother, I drank coffee, you know, all these things. You know, do I realize that, that Jesus, who has spent all of his existence, all of eternity, face to face with the Father, that means nothing is hidden. 
Nothing is withheld. There is nothing that they don't know about each other. They are totally transparent. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Amen. They, they're totally transparent. That means he has, John says, he, everybody say he. He has now come to reveal him. Boy, I tell you something. I tell you, this is sometimes such a hard thing because it's, it's somehow that people, people feel that somehow I'm attacking, I'm attacking certain things. And listen, in the Old Testament, they had wonderful experiences, intimacies with God. But those same people, because of what sin had done to them, they could not perceive God for who He really, really is. Now, did they write certain things in the Scriptures about who they believed He was? Yes. Is it necessarily true? Maybe. The only way we're going to know is if we look at Jesus. Why? Because now Jesus is the one who comes. In the Old Testament, people saw only the shadow. They couldn't see the details. They, they made up. Have you ever looked at a shadow and make up your own picture of what you sin? And then you see the real thing and you think, oh, is that what it is? Amen. Notice he says, I like this. He says, the only unique son or the only begotten God who's in the bosom, in the intimate presence of the Father, he has declared him. He has made him known. He has brought him out where he can be seen. He has interpreted him and he has made him known. You know, I love that. That word declare means he has drawn him out in narrative and he has unfolded him in teaching. You see, what we've got to understand is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes and is revealed when we realize that Jesus is the only one we can look at to get a true picture of who God is. You know, I, I like Matthew chapter, and I don't have a lot of time left here. Is that my time at the top there? Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 27 says, Jesus resumed talking to the people. This is where Jesus came and Jesus, he said, uh, no one knows the son like the father and no one knows the father like the son. Amplified says, and anyone to whom the son deliberately wills to make him known. And so when Jesus comes, he says, no one knows the father like the son and, and or no one knows the Son like the Father, and no one knows the Father like the Son, and anyone to whom the Son deliberately makes Him known. Now, I love this, is that Jesus comes. Do you realize that up until Jesus came, there was no revelation of God in relationship? Now, people say, oh, no, 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 He's a God of covenant. Do you understand that covenant is a form of relationship, but it's a contract? Come on. There was no re revelation of God. You've got to listen carefully now. As a father. Now, there's, there's seven verses, I think, speak under correction, seven verses in the Old Testament that speak of God as a father. They, they stem out of two incidences where it speaks about God being the originator of Israel. He's the father of Israel. But in the Old Testament, there was literally no revelation of God as a father in relationship. Now, Jesus comes, 
And, and, and John came and he said, no, man, no one has ever seen God at any time, the only begotten of the Father. He has come to declare Him. Listen to what the Message Bible says in, in, in Matthew uh, 11. Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. Now notice He comes and He says, The Father has given me all. First of all, the thing is, these people had never heard God being addressed as Father. That word is Abba, Abba Father. Now this is not the original, this is Daddy. Jesus comes and reveals God as Father. Father has given me all these things to say and do. Oh, what all things did He give Him to say and do? These are all the things Jesus was given by the Father to come and say and do to show us who God is. Now notice the next part of this verse in the, in the, in the, in the message. He says, this is a unique father-son operation. Coming out of father-son intimacies and knowledge. See, Jesus comes and he says now, he says, I, no one knows the father like I do. And, and I've deliberately come. You know, there was a time when I looked at that, you know, I know Jesus, you can, but I, I, I believed he didn't really want to show God to me. Because I wasn't good enough. And it's like the Holy Spirit said to me, how more deliberate do you want me to get, Arthur? I deliberately left my abode in the Godhead in heaven and became a human being so that you may know who God is. I, I walked this earth, I taught, so that you may know who the Father is, that you may know who God is. I died on that cross, deliberately went to that cross and died. So that you may know that you're loved by the Father. And so Jesus is saying, now I'm going to show you God. But it is going to be in the context of relationship. I hope you guys are hearing what I'm saying this morning. I tell you, as, as, as believers, what we really lack, I think many of us lack, is that we got a revelation of God and His power and, you know, God in His, uh, uh, in his abundance and, and in His greatness. But we forget that He is a Father. He's holy, yes. He's a holy Father. And when we understand, Jesus comes and He says, I'm going to show you all these things, but you're going to have to remember. And I like that. He says, this is Father-Son intimacies. He says, now, do you want to know God? I like this. He says, no one knows the Son the way the Father does and the Father the way the Son does, but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. I think sometimes we're not always willing to listen. He says, are you tired, worn out on religion? I don't know about you, but I've been there. Worn out religion. He says, come to me. Get away with me. And I will show you how to take a real rest. I will show you. What is he saying? He says, if you want to know God, he says, come to me. John, and, and John chapter 9, I think it is, uh, uh, was it verse, uh, chapter 14? 14, 14 and verse 9. He says, if, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
Come on now. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You know, I think that what is so important, and, and that's why for me it's just absolutely uh, a blessing to be part of what Andrew's doing in this Bible college. Because one of the things that I personally get to do is to help people to actually start to see God for who He really, really is. You know, I like Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 through to verse 3. I don't have any time. I see my time is out. I'm just going to end off with that verse. Where, where, where the writer of Hebrews in the Amplified Version, he says, now, you know, God has spoken to us in and by the prophets through our forefathers. He says, yes. He's speaking to the Jews. He says, yeah, God spoke to us. He says, but the Amplified says, but in portions of truth. Portions, pieces of truth. He says, but in the last of these days, he has spoken to us in the person of a son. I love, it. I love the way he writes it. In the person of a son. What son suggests? Relationship. Intimacy. He says, he's spoken to us in the person of a son. Whom he hath appointed heir, lawful owner of all things. And he goes through, you know, basically what he's saying is, he says, if there's anything you want to know about anything, then Jesus is the one. Because he's the one who created it all. He's the one who keeps it going. He's the one who holds holds it all together. So if there's anything you want to know about anything, then Jesus is the one. And then he puts it this way. He is the sole expression of the true nature of God. He's the sole, the only, the only. You know, that just means that whatever revelation you today have of who God is, if it doesn't line up with Jesus, then it's not the truth. See, the greatest challenge to our faith today is not so much do we believe that Jesus is God, because you know what, there's a lot of proof that He is God. But does the God you serve look like Jesus? That's the challenge. That's the challenge that we as believers have. And you know, I think that, that what's happening in this, in this school and across, across the nations is that there is a, 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 a reawakening of people coming and seeing God for who He really is. Because you know what? The world out there has been hoodwinked by the old enemy into seeing God as something that is, that is horrible, something that is, that, is, that, that is to be rejected. But if we would look and as believers start portraying God, see God for who He really is. The only way to do that is to take Jesus as the litmus test. Take every revelation you have of God, and if it doesn't line up with who Jesus is, then shelve it. Maybe put it away. Best thing is, if it doesn't line up to Jesus, get rid of it. Because He is the only expression of who God really, really is. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message.
It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.